Wrestling fans, are you ready? Yes! 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 For the thousands in attendance and the millions watching around the world, uh, let's get ready to rumble! I am the voice of the voiceless! Do I have everybody's attention now? Sorry about your damn luck. I deserve one more match. It's gonna be the end of the world as you know it. Welcome back, folks, to WrestleRant Radio for May 20th, 2014. Your host with the most, Graham Jason Matthews. The first of many WrestleRant Radios that will be in podcast form for the next four months. Had a blast doing WrestleRant Radio live from the campus of Endicott College, where I do attend college, my freshman year officially over as of now, just got back less than 24 hours ago, still recuperating and stuff like that, unpacking and whatnot, but uh, nevertheless, we will be back on campus in early September, I believe after Labor Day, but in the meantime though, I will still be delivering WrestleRant Radio on a weekly basis, instead on podcast form, talking about everything going on in the world of wrestling, instead with the guys with RJ and, and whoever else, uh, Jeff Stone, the people that join me on a weekly basis and the guests that I have on. And we still be able to do that. I still have to figure out a few bugs that we might be able to still have guests on over the phone and stuff like that in coming months. Um, I do have a few friends that we'll be talking to in person and be having here on the show in coming weeks or in coming months over the course of the summer. So that's pretty exciting. But um, we will not be live because, of course, from the Endicott campus, that's where I film the show from October to May. Um, they have some great equipment there. just want to take a moment to thank Professor Pai, the woman in charge of EC Radio. Huge thanks to her for giving me the opportunity to do WrestleRant Radio in the first place. Had a lot of fun times. And that's not the end of it all either. It's just the end of freshman year, just the end of part one. Season two of WrestleRant Radio will kick off starting after Labor Day, like I said before. So very much looking forward to that. But um, in the meantime, though, I'm just kind of taking it day by day in terms of what equipment I will use to film this show. If this is not clear enough for you, if the clarity is not great, um, you know, just tweet me on Twitter at WrestleRant. Leave me, uh, leave a comment on Facebook at Graham Jason Matthews. Just send me a message saying that you don't like the uh, uh, the equipment that I'm using right now. I'm just kind of talking in my iPhone, but. Uh, Nevertheless, though, today I am coming to you a little bit under the weather. I've been sick for about the past week or so. Um, I've been a bit congested, so if my voice does not sound as great as it usually does, uh, just kidding there, uh, that's that's why. So just want to let you know beforehand. But um, that being said, though, since I'm not feeling great today, I thought today would be the perfect opportunity to finally let go live my interview with former WWE and TNA star Joe E. Legend, went under the moniker of Just Joe in WWE in 2000 and 2001, a good friend of WWE Hall of Famer Edge, and former World Heavyweight Champion Christian, um, lives up in the Canada area, Canada area, and uh, he actually lives currently in Germany, that's where I talked to him over the phone over WrestleMania 30 weekend, so the interview is a bit dated, but of course, I could air it three months from now and it wouldn't be any different. We didn't talk about any real current events. We just kind of talked about um, a number of things because one of the first things or one of the reasons why I did the interview to begin with, well, for a few reasons. One, because he has a few projects to promote, which he will be talking about over the course of the interview that you will be out, that you will listen to in just a few minutes. But... um not only that, we also talked about, well, the, the reason why I did the podcast, in addition for him promoting the stuff, 
was for my blog for one of my classes that I took this past semester in uh, how to become a pro wrestler. So I thought getting an interview with a former WWE TNA star would be pretty legitimate, and it was. We got a great interview out of it. Only wanted to talk to him for about 20-25 minutes. We ended up talking for almost an hour. So I thought it'd be perfect to air on WrestleRant Radio today, the first time this interview has ever been heard by anyone other than myself. Um, I have yet to put it online, but I will do so in this podcast here today. But I will talk about Raw for a few minutes in, in just a moment. But uh, over the course of the interview, we talked about a number of things, which you will hear in a minute, um, including how he broke into the business 20 years ago, his time in WWE, who we got along with, who we didn't get along with, some money issues, financial issues in TNA, and Jeff Jarrett, Vince Russo, and everyone else over in TNA when he was there. Um, in the, in the, I think in 2004 where he did win a world tag team title, um, you know, working over in Japan, writing a book, becoming an author, some TV shows he's been doing, um, and a reality show that he was filming a number of years ago that he was a part of, which is very cool. How being small by, you know, being small by Daniel Bryan small, I mean, um, how the perspective of smaller wrestlers, quote unquote, breaking into the business has changed over the last 20 years or so. And uh, just a lot of great stuff. So like I said, an, an hour-long interview, a lot to talk about, which you, you will hear in a minute. But um, even before we get to that, I'll just talk about some brief raw notes. And I don't know if it will be going live before this podcast is up or after or whatever else, but because I was coming home last night and I was still unpacking and stuff like that, I did not watch Raw live, and Raw wasn't live anyway. It was taped in England earlier on in the day, but I didn't watch it as it was airing on the USA Network. I watched it afterwards at 11 o'clock last night um, until like 1.30 in the morning. But um, even so, though, I thought it was a very good show. I thought it was a good show. Not too much bad about it. It wasn't much noteworthy to talk about, hence why I'll take this day to talk about, uh, to take today to air the interview with Joe E. Legend. But um, there were some good stuff in there. England is always a great crowd. I've said this before, but England was the crowd that really got me into wrestling to begin with because the first ever episode of Raw that I really watched in its entirety on uh, April 14th, 2008 took place in England with the main event being Randy Orton versus William Regal. So England and the fact that my mother's family is from England as well, so I am part English, so I am a bit biased, but that being said, English holds a special place in my heart. Love the crowd. Always awesome. Last night was no exception. They were hot all night long, so I really give them props for that. Even though there wasn't much to get excited about, I still thought it was a good show with or without the crowd, but they really were the highlight of last night's show. Um, I won't go in-depth about everything on this episode of Raw, like I said. Um, I don't know if it's going to be going live before this go, before this episode goes live or afterward, but my review of Rob, because I didn't watch live last night, has not yet been written, but um, it will be up at nextairwrestling.weebly.com, my in-depth analysis of everything that happened on the show and aftermath of what's to come in coming weeks, so that will be up if you want my full thoughts on the show. But um, even still, we had a very good promo from Bray Wyatt kicking off the show. A god on the mic that goes that saying John Cena getting in the sneak attack on Har- on uh, Bray Wyatt for Harper and Rowan to make the save. John Cena gets away. I thought it was a good segment. I didn't think Cena getting the better of uh, of Bray Wyatt here was really necessary. Although it made sense later on in the night when the Wyatt family attacked John Cena. I'll get to that in a minute or so. But um, I guess that kind of made sense. But even still, I thought it was a very good segment to kick off the show. Sheamus versus Cesaro, like it was on main event last week, I thought was a very good matchup. These two can have a great feud, have great chemistry together. Um, I have no problem with the U.S. champion losing a non-title matchup. If only it leads to a title match at payback, I'm content. 
I don't see Cesaro winning the belt, and I'm fine with that because Cesaro, uh, Sheamus just won the belt a few weeks ago, so it's not necessary for him to drop the belt this early. But uh, those two can have a hell of a match at, in, in Chicago at Payback, so I'm looking forward to that. So a good match there, good 12-minute match there. Um, up next, we had uh, Beat the Clock Challenge. Over the course of the night, we had Big E versus Ryback in the first matchup of the night of the Beat the Clock Challenge, where the winner would earn a Intercontinental Championship matchup at Payback against Bad News Barrett in uh, England's own, of course, who got a huge pop later on the night after RVD was announced as the winner of the Beat the Clock Challenge. Um, we don't see enough of these kind of matches. They're not great. They're not bad. Um, the matches are shorter because of the, uh, of the Beat the Clock Challenge, which is not always a good thing. I like longer matches, of course, like anyone else would. But um, it, it is a fun concept. We don't see it too often, so I was glad to see it here. Uh, used to bring some prestige, so to speak, back to the IC title picture and, and who to crown as a new Intercontinental Champion or the new contender to the Intercontinental Championship. Um, Big E and Ryback had a decent matchup. RVD, Del Rio, good matchup from them. Ziggler and Mark Henry, a good matchup. Crowd was very much behind Ziggler. RVD won the Beat the Clock Challenge. Bad News Barrett attacked him afterwards. Played to the crowd. I mean, that's not very heelish of him, but I think it's only a matter of time before he turns babyface. This guy's over, not only in England, of course, but everywhere, everywhere else as it seems. I mean, I know he's delivering bad news, but he's just getting cheered on such a regular basis that I would not be surprised. And this is not a, my idea. I've heard this elsewhere that if they were to execute a double turn with him and Sheamus or him and whoever else, because he's just so over right now, which is great. Whether he's being booed or cheered, I don't care. As long as Bad News Barra is getting a reaction because it was pointless for the longest period of time from uh, late 2013 to early 2014. And the, as long as he's in the ring and he's holding gold, I'm completely fine with that. So... That's cool. Uh, he and uh, RVD should have a very good matchup at Payback. I'm happy with the way that they're utilizing RVD. I don't think he needs to be in the world title picture like he was last year. I mean, he had a decent feud with Del Rio last year, but it really wasn't anything great. They had some good matches, but nothing all that memorable, except for the one at Battleground, which I thought was very good. But aside from that, though, they just kind of wasted him on his last run in the company. So as long as they're doing something with him now, because before he was feuding with Cesaro, now he's feuding with Bad News Barrett. You know, and the upper mid card, I think, is a perfect place for RVD right now to put over younger talent. I don't at all think he needs to win the IC Championship at Payback, but it should be a very good match nevertheless, and I look forward to it. So good stuff from those guys. Uh, Summer Rae returned last night to confront Fandango. I think it was only a matter of time before she came back. I think they just wrapped up filming the Marine 4. I expected The Miz to come back last night, too, and side with Summer Rae. I don't know if Summer Rae is going to be a babyface. I presume she's going to be a heel, but I don't know how they're going to have her and Fandango feud or her and Layla feud if Layla's going to stay a heel, as is Fandango. So I'm not exactly sure. Uh, I don't care all that much, to be quite honest with you, but and although I am a, few, uh, I am a huge fan of The Miz, and I think that's well-documented, but um, I don't really care to see another Miz and Fandango feud or Summer Rae and Miz just because they were in the Marine together. They're going to pair them up. Um, maybe, I guess. I don't really know, and I don't really care, to be quite honest with you. But it was interesting, and the brawl, or the brief brawl between Layla and Summer Rae got a reaction from the England crowd, so that was pretty cool. Uh, Stephanie McMahon addressed the status of the WWE World Heavyweight Championship, saying that Daniel Bryan must appear in person next week live on Raw to surrender the WWE World Heavyweight title. So we talked about this last week on Russell Rant Radio. I won't go on a huge rant on this here. I mean, it is Russell Rant Radio, but... 
we have an interview to uh, to post after this, so to listen to, so that, it, that I won't be going in my in depth thoughts on this segment. But uh, first of all, the promo itself from Stephanie was great. She did a great uh, great job of toying with the fans in attendance. So props to her for that. But uh, as far as the status of the WWE World Heavyweight Title, Daniel Bryan underwent successful neck surgery last week, uh, which is very good to hear. I think it's fine. I mean, he won the title in such a huge way at WrestleMania. I said this last week, but if he was to lose the title, then maybe win it back at SummerSlam or wherever else. It just wouldn't mean as much when he wins it back because he won it in such a grandiose fashion at WrestleMania 30 in the main event that it just wouldn't feel the same when he eventually wins it back, or if he was to win it back. I mean, I guarantee he probably will, but uh, it even still, it wouldn't feel the same as when it did at WrestleMania 30, that huge reaction, the build-up, the placement of the matchup, all that great stuff. So it's just a, it, it's such a shame at what, have, what has happened to Daniel Bryan over the last month. The feud with Kane hasn't been all that great. His father passed away. His biggest fan in Conor the Crusher passed away, stuff like that. So it's really a shame. And uh, his, his title reign hasn't really gone as many people would have liked it to. But if he's going to be gone for two to three months, I'm completely content with them taking the title off of him. It makes perfect sense because the authority doesn't want the title on him anyway. So I'm fine if they have to take the title off him, if they have to strip him of the championship. But even still, though, um, who they put as champion, I don't know. I said this in a recent hashtag AskGSM video, but... Maybe John Cena to build a unification match at SummerSlam. Cena Bryan 2 at SummerSlam a year later. I think it'd be great. Um, I just don't really want to see any member of Evolution with the championship. Triple H, he's not an active competitor, so that one makes sense. Batista, I think, will be leaving. Batista would be my pick, but he'll be leaving soon, so that one makes sense. And Randy Orton, been there, done that. So, that being said... Uh, I'm fine with him dropping the championship as long as the title continues to mean something if they put it on someone worthy. Kane, I mean, Kane is a world champion in 2014. I don't know. I wouldn't be completely against it, but I mean, it's not the ideal person I would have in mind to be the WWE World Heavyweight Champion in 2014. But uh, that being said, though, I look forward to what they do with this. From what I've heard, they might drag this out for the next couple of weeks, maybe in a payback. We'll have to wait and see. But, um, you know, best of luck to Daniel Bryan in his recovery from neck surgery. I know it's a tough thing, of course. He's going to be out for a while. Hopefully he's not out for too long, but he needs to take as much time as he needs to make sure he comes back 100%. Maybe adapt his uh, in-ring style a little bit, change it up so he's not suffering as much neck injuries as he has been, you know, building up the pressure on the neck and tension on the neck and stuff like that. But um, I do look forward to Daniel Bryan's eventual return to the ring. When that will be, we still don't know. It's still up in the air, but I look forward to it nevertheless. Um, other stuff on Monday Night Raw last night. Rusev attacked 3MB, a.k.a. the Union Jacks. I was fine with that because the U.K. took a liking to the Union Jacks. I thought that was pretty cool. Uh, so I don't think 3MB is face for anyone asking. But uh, even so, that was that. Uh, we also had a few other things on this show. We had Seth Rollins versus Batista. That was a good matchup. Uh, Evolution in, in the Shield being in-ring personnel at ringside with being commentators and the, the ring announcers and stuff like that. I thought that was a bit goofy, but uh, I guess it was kind of clever in the same way. I mean, we've seen it before, but it, I guess it was kind of clever. But uh, the matchup was good. Batista versus Rollins. It obviously ended in a DQ, as every matchup has been in the last number of weeks involving the Shield and in, uh, in Evolution. But I thought it was a good matchup. I've been loving this feud. The best feud to watch right now in WWE. Probably the best feud of the year up to this point. 
Um, I look forward to match number two from Shev from the Shield and Evolution. I almost said Shevolution. Uh, the Shield and Evolution at Payback. It will be no DQ elimination. So that should be great. Looking forward to that. And, um, yeah, so a good matchup from those guys. We had Paige versus Alicia Fox. I'm not at all angered by Paige losing in her home country of England, if only because Alicia Fox win gives her credibility, and it sets her up as a number one contender to the Divas Championship, or so I hope, for payback. So that should be a good feud. And it put heat on Alicia because she beat the, the hometown hero. So I was fine with that. Alicia Fox goes over. Hopefully we get a Divas title match at payback. Um, I already talked about the Beat the Clock Challenge matches. And in the main event, we had Cena versus Harper. Another impressive outing from Luke Harper. John Cena. I'm not even gonna go. I'm not even gonna say that he can wrestle because I've said this so many times in the past. But the you can't wrestle chants are beyond bullshit at this point. I mean, it's been proven for years that John Cena is a great wrestler, regardless of who his opponent is. I mean, he works better with some people more than others. But even with Rowan last week, who was the greatest member of the Wyatt family, not to say that he's terrible, but he's the greatest member of Bray Wyatt and Luke Harper. That even he had a good matchup with John Cena last week, so I was I was very content with this matchup between Harper and Cena. It ended in a DQ, of course. Again, I was fine with that. But Luke Harper pulled out some impressive moves here against Cena. Cena pulled out a drop kick too. It didn't look too great, but he did it nevertheless. It was pretty pretty impressive. Uh, Cena goes over via DQ, and the Wyatt family attacks John Cena to go off the show. I thought that was a strong angle with Bray Wyatt and the rest of the members of the Wyatt family attacking John Cena atop the stage. I thought that was pretty cool, and singing he's got the whole world in his hands, the England crowd going along with it. So I thought that was pretty nice. And uh, I'm not a huge fan right now of the Cena and Bray Wyatt feud. We've been saying for weeks over uh, with RJ and myself over on WrestleMania Radio that it that it should end in the very near future. It, hopefully, it will end at Payback, but. Uh, we, it's just been going on since January, on and off. It's been an on and off feud since January for the last five months that uh, I really just have no desire to see it continue past payback. So hopefully that is the, the be-all, end-all of the feud. I, t I miss talking about this, but Adam Rose came out and uh, they interrupted Jack Swagger. They had a bit of a brawl. I mean, I'm a huge fan of Adam Rose. I'm completely fine with him being on the main roster. I know a lot of people are down on the idea, but I, I, although as a fan, I love it. I can definitely see where people are coming from when they say that uh, it doesn't have lasting power or, or anything along those lines. Last night was kind of proof of that. People were very much into the theme song. That, is, that much is obvious, but if there's not much more to the gimmick than just the, the, than just the dance and the theme song, then he's not going to last too long. So that's the issue with Adam Rose at the moment. I look forward to what they do with him. The match with Swagger should be interesting at payback. But aside from that, I really have no idea what they're going to do with Adam Rose on the main roster. But that was Monday Night Raw last night. I said this before, but I thought it was a good show, uh, especially made by the England crowd. Had it not been had it the had the show not been emanated had it had the show not emanated from England, it might not have been as good as it was in my opinion. But the crowd was definitely the highlight of the show. Cena and Harper was good. Seth Rollins versus Batista was good. I like to beat the clock challenge. A lot of good stuff on the show that I thoroughly enjoyed. Uh, payback is just a few weeks away. It's setting up to be a good show with uh, last man standing match between Cena and Wyatt. No DQ uh, elimination matchup between The Shield and Evolution. Uh, presumably Alicia Fox versus Paige for the Divas Championship. Uh, presumably, or actually made official... Uh, for the IC Championship, Bad News Barrett versus RVD. So a number of good matches for the Payback card. Like I said, looking forward to which Chicago should be great at Payback. Uh, so once again, I apologize for not my for not going in depth with my analysis this week on Monday Night Raw because I did want to air this interview. I'm not feeling too great today. 
I, I, I am still feeling a bit congested. I don't want to bore you with my, uh, with my stuffy nose and stuff like that. But um, even still, though, like I said before, Joey Legend on the line, former WWE and TNA star, has gone all over the world, currently living in Germany of all places, which is really interesting. I had to talk to him at like 3 o'clock in the afternoon Eastern time because it was 9 o'clock over there or something weird like that. But um, really interesting interview, great guy to talk to. Thanks again to him for the interview. And thanks to all of you for listening live or listening to this in podcast form, I guess. But um, even still, I thought it was a great interview. Hope you enjoy it. Before we air the interview, just a brief reminder, WrestleRant Radio will be going up, continue to be going up, every Tuesday and next at wrestling.weebly.com. Every archive version of the show is up there as well. Follow me on Twitter at WrestleRant, and follow me on Facebook as well at Graham Jason Matthews. Bleacher Report, same thing, and YouTube, same thing. Clips are going, and, and videos are going up on a regular basis, so check all that stuff out. And once again, enjoy this interview between myself and former WWE and TNA star, Joey Legend. Enjoy. And welcome back, folks. This is Graham Jason Matthews of WrestleRant Radio. On the line now, we have an individual who has competed for the WWE. TNA has competed all over the world. An exclusive interview with him today. We have Joey Legend on the line. How's it going today, Joe? How are you doing? Thank you so much for having me on. Doing good and no problem. Uh, you are among the first notable names to have we have had here on the show on WrestleRant Radio, so extremely excited to get talking to you here today. My first question oh, for you would have to you. be, um, what initially inspired you to get into pro wrestling when you first started out in the early 90s? Uh, well, I'd been taking karate and kung fu and tournament fighting and stuff for 10 years. And uh, as the story goes, I was you know, comfortable kicking anybody's ass in the unemployment line, but it really wouldn't make me any money. And I was a huge fan of wrestling as a kid. My dad, about 14 years of age, started taking me to these little indie shows at the East End of Toronto, where I'm originally from. And I got to see the original Sheik and Bobo Brazil and Louis Martinez and all these guys. And uh, just kind of fell in love with it from there. So a couple of years later, I uh, started training. And oddly enough, the first night I was ever at a wrestling show, walking out with my dad, he introduced me. He said, oh, my God, that's sweet daddy. He went up and introduced me. I was like, hi. I'd never seen or heard of the guy before. Uh, and it turned out he was going to be one of my trainers and have a, an incredible impact on my life. And just, you know, I met him and, hi, nice to meet you. And that was it. And it turns out this guy is, you know, one of the key figures uh, in my career. And, of course, for the viewers that don't know, you were uh, grown up in Canada. You trained in Canada with Ron Hutchinson and Siki, of course, the, uh, also the trainers of Legend Christian. I'll be asking a few questions about that in a, in a brief bit. But, of course, when you were breaking into the business, what was one of the biggest obstacles you had to ever overcome um, when trying to break into the business? Well, at the time in Toronto, it was really tough um, because the athletic commission had everything so sewn up. Mm -hmm. uh, the WWE had everything locked down through a commissioner's name was Ken Hayashi mm -hmm. and um, he just made it so impossibly expensive and difficult to run a show that it would cost you to run a show uh, getting close to between 8 and 10 grand if I remember correctly uh, before you sold the ticket mm -hmm. so in turn nobody ran shows and when they did uh, they only seemed to use the guys who'd been around Ontario forever so it's really hard to kind of get your foot in the door and just Start, you know, start trying to, to just get your experience and get your name out there. That was probably the biggest hurdle. I was blessed real early because uh, Ron and Siki even kicked open a few doors for me, and three matches in, I got a tour of Japan for FMW because I helped train Tiger Jeet Singh's son, Tiger Ali Singh from the early years ago. Um, they, helped, they had me get him ready for his first FMW tour, and I was totally blessed 
to, you know, three matches in, I got a, just shy of a 1.2 FMW. So, uh, yeah, over in Japan. You know, I, I got, BMW at the time was massive. They were like the number two company in Japan at the time. So, they, they greased the wheels for me. And then, you know, uh, once people in the sheets thought, hey, he's been to Japan for FMW, that was able to kick open doors for me. And then I was able to kick open doors for, you know, my friends. In your opinion, how has the process changed in the last 20 years when you first spoke in his business and in the process of training to become a pro wrestler has it become, I don't want to say easier, but how has it really evolved in the last 20 years in your opinion? Um, has it really changed all that much since when you first spoke in the business? Our perception has. Years and years ago, the you know the big leagues, NWA, which became WCW, obviously, AWA, WWF, uh, they were all looking for guys who had experience, who'd made themselves marketable, who understood their own characters, and they were just looking to kind of, okay, these guys are already making X amount of dollars with our marketing machine behind them, we can really turn the back. And now, it's, um, if you have virtually any indie experience, they don't want to look at you, because they're afraid they have to retrain you and, you know, uh, iron out any bad habits you learned on the indies, but... To me, uh, it makes everybody kind of wrestle the same way. I find that if I'm watching the beginning of Raw, I'm watching the end of Raw, I'm kind of seeing the same match over and over and over again. Yeah. But, I mean, I, I, as much as I understand they want to micromanage the product because it's, a, you know, years ago, TV was to sell tickets to live events. Live events was your gravy. Mm-hmm. Now, uh, you know, live events are, you know, time killers until you get to the next TV or the next pay-per-view. So they're trying to micromanage to make everything TV-ready and TV-presentable. Which is all does made them their money, but I find that the, the talent is more doing what the agents want as opposed to getting themselves over. Yeah. And I mean, you can look at a guy like Punk or a guy like Daniel Bryan, they're kind of the last real indie guys to make a, make headway to look at the acclaim they get. It's because they learn how to work mm-hmm. ahead of time. Instead of kind of being forced on it for like, I mean, I like Shane, he's a nice guy, I worked him in England and such. Uh, but he's been forced on the fence, and in terms of, he only gets over to a certain extent, whereas Punk and, and Brian got over organically because they understand how to get themselves over. They're not too busy trying to keep the agents happy and the, the directors happy and everything else. They're making the fans happy. The fans are buying the merch and in turn uh, responding to what their work rate is, and WWE has to concede and say, shoot, we got to push these guys. Mm-hmm. Exactly. That's that's how much the, the business has evolved in the last 20 years or so. There's a lot less territories, too. Now there's just a big conglomerate that is the WWE, and of course TNA to an extent, but it, it's just a global empire that is the WWE. That is the place to be nowadays. But yeah, I can definitely see where you're coming from in terms of CM Punk and Daniel Bryan and, and trying to keep the agents backstage happy and stuff like that, and that's not their way of doing things. But my next question for you would have to be, um, what tips would you have for someone trying to break into the business today? Tips, I would say, is A, stay away from backyard wrestling. I, I meet so many guys when I'm at wrestling shows and doing autographs and whatever, and they're like, yeah, I'm the, you know, discount 7-Eleven television world champion of my promotion in my backyard. <laughs> and they, a lot of these guys just are uh, under this impression that, you know, that if they learn how to, you know, if they beat the crap out of each other in the back garden, that somehow WWE is going to respect that because... Mick Foley, obviously, you know, there was the video of him jumping out of windows, I guess, or off the roofs or something like that. And then there was the Hardys who kind of backyarded their way in, but then they got trained well. Yeah, <laughs> and, exactly. you know, like that was kind of their interest to ground for. It's like somebody who gets a bunch of canvases and starts painting. Well, that's nice and everything, but eventually they go to art school and really refine their craft. Um, by and large, 
I, my, I don't want to ask you, WWE. Um, it was laughable. As soon as you found that a guy used to backyard wrestle in any capacity, bam, he went to the bottom of the stack if he was even the guy of the game. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the Hardys and McFoy's thing kind of put a, shown a little bit of a light on that, saying, wow, look at their passion, but in turn, it gave a lot of people the wrong message on how to get into the business. The key is to get trained. Get trained well, get trained by not just somebody who's really, really, really good, because mm-hmm. I mean, I, I, in a perfect world, it's just go to the best trainer. But the fact is, the best trainer might not have the best connections. And it's not what you know, it's who you know. Mm-hmm. Exactly. So, uh, you know, get, getting in with a guy like Lance Storm, who's just connected everywhere. Mm-hmm. Uh, and on top of being a very good talent and a smart guy and, you know, everything else, the key is the fact that he's, you know, he can make one phone call and you've got a, you know, a trial or an NXT when you're ready. Exactly. Uh, Scott DeMora, when he's running his uh, Border City Wrestling as a wrestling school in Winter, Canada, when he was fully hooked up with TNA, one phone call, boom, you got to try it with TNA. Mm-hmm. Um, and, I mean, he probably still could pull it off, because I know he left the company on good terms, and he could probably still do it for us. So there's just two examples of, you know, not only good trainers, but the fact that they need to make sure that trainers have connections. Exactly. I believe three of Landstorm's students right now are in NXT. Um, Emma, there's Tyler Breeze, and I believe there's someone else too, uh, Laforte or whatever his name is. But, yeah, it, it's all about who you know in the business, so that's very good advice. You don't usually hear uh, the topic of backyard wrestling brought up nowadays, but it's very interesting that you uh, that you mentioned that. I completely forgot about that aspect of it. And uh, that People you bring it up to me all the time, showing me their belt. I mean, because you, you know, at the autograph session, you're always signing things, and people don't just bring you, like, photos. Then I bring the, the WWE, one of those WWE books came out nine minutes somewhere. Um, you know, I'll see that on occasion. Mm-hmm. But for the most part, they want you to find something interesting, something if they brought it from home, it isn't just like a piece of cardboard, it's something unique, and a lot of times they'll bring you their belt. Mm-hmm. And they're like, oh, isn't that cute, where'd you get that? And then they give you the story, and they're like, oh, gee, this guy, <laughs> you're gonna kill yourself. <laughs> like, you know, the, do it right. You know, the, one of the big problems I find, and maybe I'm just, you know, I'm, I'm old, I admit it, it's fine, um, is that it's too easy to be able to call yourself a professional wrestler. You can't just put on a jersey and some cleats and run around the field and call yourself a soccer player. Mm-hmm. You can't just put on a helmet, pick up a bat, and call yourself a pro baseball player. Mm-hmm. But you can, you know, you don't even need wrestling gear. If you can just put up a ring somewhere, you can call yourself the world champion of whatever your little promotion is. Mm-hmm. and call yourself a professional wrestler. And that takes away from all the guys who really make the hard efforts to do this job and who take the beats and put the time in on the road. I find a downgrade of everything we're trying to do. If it's that easy to do, it's not worth paying to see. No, absolutely. Yeah, I completely agree. It's definitely changed in that aspect as well. And uh, you were mentioning yeah. this before when you were trained by Hutchinson and and, uh, and Siki and those guys, of course, up in Canada. Um, mm-hmm. You were trained alongside Edge and Christian, Jay, Re- Jay Russo. Jay Russo, or is it Russo? Russo. Russo, okay. And Adam Copeland, uh, um, yeah. up in Canada under Hutchinson and Siki, of course. So I wanted to get your thoughts in training alongside them in the same school and still being friends with those guys to this day. Uh, well, actually, I was in before them. Oh, I started really? training before them, yeah. I was, uh, Edge came in uh, a couple of months before I left for Japan for, for that FMW tour. Mm-hmm. And I was hanging out with my buddy Keith. Keith is soon great actor. Look him up; he's excellent. He's left the wrestling business to become an actor. He's awesome. Mm-hmm. Um, so Keith and I were real tight. So I left for Japan, and by the time I came back, he said, "Yeah, I was you know bored every weekend. I had nobody to hang out with. So I started hanging out with this you know, hippie guy." 
Uh, he's a cool guy. Yeah, he's great. So next thing you know, we all started hanging out. And Christian came in, I think, a year after him. Because it was just a financial thing. He needed to save up the money to do it. I believe Christian actually used the money. Uh, he got grant money for his education. He put towards wrestling, which clearly was the right move for him because he's doing pretty well. <laughs> yeah, exactly. uh, yeah, but um, one of the things that I'm, I'm always kind of proud of in a way is the fact that I want to see you real sticklers for the basics. Like, anytime you try to do anything flashy, it's like, grab a headlock, you dumb bastard. Um, which is fantastic. I mean, you know, your, your basics and your fundamentals are key at any given time. Your best coaches in any sport tell you to focus on your fundamentals and then broaden. Um, but I was the first guy to get out of the gym and really go places. Mm-hmm. I've been to South Africa, I've been to Japan, stuff like that. Uh, and learned, you know, you're, you're picking stuff up everywhere you go if you're in any way hexagen. So I, uh, I started showing them all kinds of stuff. And, uh, you know, they obviously added it to the repertoire. And when Edge had his first tryout in Hamilton, Ontario, mm-hmm. uh, with WWE, it was him against uh, Sparky Plug. That's how long ago. He was in Bob Holly yet, I don't think. I used to him and Sparky Plug. Yep. And uh, so we all, went, we all got tickets, and we sat ringside, and we decided to make as much noise as we could because, we, you know, at the time, naive. We're like, if, if they hear how older he is, they'll hire him, right? Mm-hmm. Like, they're listening to five guys in the audience, right? But um, I went up there, and I watched, and it was like watching, a, like, a blonde, skinny me. He was doing all my stuff. <laughs> so I was like, I was taken aback. It's like, you jerk. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So we got us, we get outside with his mom and everything, and we're talking, and he comes walking around, like, hey, what the hell is that, man? <laughs> yeah, he didn't know first. Oh, no, no, but he, he looks me in the face, he goes, well, Joe, like, most of what I do is just stuff I take from Sha- from uh, Shawn Michaels and Brad Hart, and I can't really do that because they work here. Oh, I needed some gotcha. some unique stuff, and I'm like, you know, I can't argue with that logic. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> I wish you would have mentioned something ahead of time, but, mm-hmm. I mean, truthfully, uh, you, you want to get your job. He went out of his way. That was, you know, one of the factors that got him another look-see, which got him another look-see, which got him his job. So, um, I, I'm happy that I had a lot of contribution in helping him in his, you know, fundamentals and getting the ball rolling. And I was able to wait till Siki and Ron went into the office to discuss something, and I was able to show him a bunch of stuff that Siki and Ron probably didn't want me showing him at the time, but it worked to his benefit, and I'm happy I could help. Were you in the circle when Edge first broke the announcement of his retirement in 2011? Were you among the first people that he told, or did you find out with the rest of the world a few days later when it was announced on Raw? I saw it online, actually. I was uh, just monkeying about, and I, you know, flipped on the PC, and there it was. Edge retired. I thought, oh, I guess he'd you know, done some angle, lost the loser, leaves town match or something ridiculous, and he'd be back next week and unmasked. Um, and then when I saw more, I was like, wow, that, that actually does sound quite serious. If it is an angle, it's a hell of an angle, because I believe it. Mm-hmm. At least I, I, I question whether it's legitimate or not. It's like completely foolish. So I started making a couple of phone calls. I was like, wow. Yeah, like I knew he'd been hurt before. I knew he'd been having trouble. I, you know, Christian had messaged me a couple of times. Like, he was a little concerned. Mm-hmm. About, uh, you know, because he'd seen his, you know, Adam's hand shake a little bit. So he doesn't want to, you don't tell him, to quit. You don't do that. You try to be supportive of whatever decision you make. Like, of course, that's what Christian was for Edge. Uh, but he, you know, he let me know. He was, I'm a little concerned. Mm-hmm. But he assumed that, and fortunately, they were smart enough to go and see a doctor and make sure that he isn't in a wheelchair now. Yeah. Um, 
just for ego, where I might have been the guy in the wheelchair. Because I have to be clinically dead for three days before I go see a doctor about anything. Yeah. I'm just I'm just stubborn that way. I hate doctor's offices. Um, he played the smart card. He's played smart with money. He's played it smart in virtually every other way. And now he's played it smart with his health. And now since he's a daddy, he's going to be able to run around the garden and kick a ball around instead of sitting on the sidelines and watch his kid because he had too much ego. So well done to him. If he had to go out on top, he went out the smartest way possible. Exactly. He left his world champion, had his last match at WrestleMania. Couldn't think of a better way to go out. Of course, it wasn't on yeah. terms, but like you said, it's much better than going out on a wheelchair than never having be able to walk again or anything terrible like that. So that's very good as yeah, well. Yeah, precisely. And, um, Quality of life is everything. What was that? Quality of life is everything. Absolutely. Eventually, you're going to retire. It's going to happen. Exactly. Unless you're Terry Funk, you're going to retire. Only never. And when you do, I mean... Uh, you know, the cheering's going to stop and, you know, people are going to stop recognizing you in airports because, they're, you know, they're, they're looking at the current product. And when that happens, you can only reflect back on your career and look at your current state and see, you know, mm-hmm. see how it added up. His is going to add up quite well. Exactly. It's got the legacy to, to back it up with the world championships and whatnot. So speaking mm-hmm. of which, you competed for the WWE or WWF at the time, and for a brief period of time in the early 2000s, um, how would you describe your tenure in WWF? I hate it. It's terrible. Mm-hmm. Worst gimmick in wrestling history, uh, real political backstage nonsense. Um... I mean, there are some wonderful people. I'm not going to just say it's a straight and grim situation. Um, but I, I felt, I, mean, I felt Shane McMahon was really approachable. Stephanie was lovely, despite what you hear. I, I never had a cross with her. I thought she was great. Mm-hmm. Vince, you know, he puts on kind of, you know, the Vince character wherever he goes, so you're kind of hesitant to go and approach him, because he, he's always busy. Yeah. You don't want to think he's, you know, coming up with a finished WrestleMania in his head and you're interrupting about some nonsense, then he gets mad at you. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, and Linda's an absolute lovely lady. Um, but the the gymnastics you've got to do, jumping over people and doing, you know, going through hoops and, and crawling around trying to get to them mm-hmm. uh, is torture. I, I'm not a politician. I'm a terrible politician. Uh, if I don't like you, I don't like you. And I, I don't, I find it really hard to hide that. I don't have to drag you outside and punch you in the face, but you know it. And I don't feel comfortable having to come and, hey man, it's great to see you, when it's not great to see you. <laughs> I can be professional and, and, and work my match and like and let's go separate ways, but it's just such a, I don't know, it sounds weird because it's wrestling stuff, but it's still, it's a phony atmosphere. Like, so much of the atmosphere is phony that when you do meet some real sincere, good people, um, you feel guilty a couple weeks later when you realize they are sincere good people, but you're always questioning everybody's motives. It's a very, you know, walk on eggshell atmosphere, and it was definitely not for me. The money was great, the travel was great, I met some lovely, wonderful people. You know, Molly Holly, one of the best people I've ever met in and out of wrestling, just a great, wonderful girl. Uh, you know, if, if, if that's the, the best I can say, okay, well, I got to hang out with Molly Holly, then I didn't do too bad. Because I'm going to have a quality person like that for as long as I got to. Uh, most people don't get to hang out with somebody like that. So, positive uh, mindset, I suppose. Exactly. Was there anyone in particular that you had a problem with backstage, or was just the politics in general? Not the politics in general. I mean, uh, I've had some issues with Bradshaw and Brian Christopher, I thought was a jerk. Uh, just, the, the thing that drives you nuts mm-hmm. is that 
before you get there, you kind of put these people on the pedestal. You put them in kind of a heroic position in your eyes. Exactly. The whole rose-colored glasses thing. And nobody can really probably live up to the, to the, to the hype you put in your head. Mm-hmm. I mean, I was the biggest macho mark in the world. I was a massive macho man, Randy Savage fan. And I'm almost glad I never got to hang out with him because maybe he would have let me out. Maybe he would have lived up to everything. Very few have lived up to everything. Roddy Piper lived up to everything. When I got through that TV series with him in England, spent three months with Roddy, excellent. He's hilarious. And I have no, you know, but he's one of the few who actually lived up to it. Most of them always kind of fall short, and maybe it's just because I project too high expectations on them for, you know, when I look at them through naive green eyes. Mm-hmm. But that, that's what I found most. Who is the most... Uh, who, who is the most... Go ahead. Oh, I'm sorry, you can go ahead. Go ahead, I was going to ask what was next. Oh, no, I was just going to ask you, um, who was the most genuine person you met, you, that you met backstage? You mentioned Molly Holly. You said that Stephanie was very approachable as well. Was there anyone yeah. else you have fond memories of in the WWE, WWF? Um, of any of the guys who were agenting, I felt that um, Michael Hayes was probably the most direct. Really? Okay. Like he te- yeah, I, I know. I've heard a lot of stories where he's going to be this political you know, jerk or something like that. <laughs> but truthfully, something was bad he told you. He didn't candy cut it. He didn't have time to candy cut it because he had a lot of responsibilities on his shoulders. Yeah. Terry Taylor. I've, I've never had a problem with Terry Taylor. Terry Taylor is wonderful. And if something looks terrible, he'll tell you. He'll tell you in a really funny way, which might make you feel bad because he's making himself laugh. Mm-hmm. Um, but if you do take it through, you know, if you look at it through his eyes, you actually do get a giggle out of it. But he's very direct and, and very realistic as far as, you know, when, when you say, well, this is what I'm thinking of doing. He's like, look, get your, get your stuff in. Do your moves, they're going to book you off your moves because right now you've got three minutes. Psychology, as much as I want it to matter, doesn't. This is what they're looking for. Just go to it. Mm-hmm. He doesn't come to you with this whole mystery. We, you know, just show us what you got. We don't know what we're looking for, but we'll know when we see it, which is a lot of garbage. They know exactly what they're looking for. Mm-hmm. They just want you to jump through hoops and, you know, and they don't want to make you feel uneasy. Terry Taylor's not a guy to make you feel uneasy. Terry Taylor was very direct. Michael Hayes was very direct. I always enjoyed the. Uh, Enjoyed the company. You also competed for Total Nonstep Action TNA for a brief period of time in 2004. You even reigned as World Tag Team Champion on one occasion. How would you describe mm-hmm. your tenure in TNA, and how would you describe, or how would you compare your time to TNA or, or with TNA to WWE? It started off kind of weird because I'd met Jarrett on a, a tour in. Uh, we were doing it for the school of the WWA. We did a couple of pay-per-views for them. Mm-hmm. Um, and I did the first tour of England, Ireland, Scotland, and Switzerland. And I met Jeff there and like my staff. I've been working Mike Sanders every night. And we really do have good matches, really good matches. Mm-hmm. So Jeff liked my stuff. And uh, so I spoke to him after that. And he said, yeah, we'd really love to have you in, blah, 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 blah. We'll take good care of you. I'm like, okay, great. So I kept in touch with the office, but you couldn't get a hold of Jeff. So then he was talking about me coming in in like January of 2003, I want to say. Mm-hmm. And so I kept calling the office going, guys, what are we doing here? Because I've got to move my entire life from Germany, where I currently live. Uh, I, when I left over there, I'd moved to Europe and got married over here. Mm-hmm. So um, I was like, well, yeah, I've got to move my whole life over there. You guys aren't going to fly me in from Germany. I believe that'd be the best, but you're not going to. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, so, so I've got to know what's going on here. So they kept saying, oh, you're on the list. You're on the list. You told me I was hired. Like, don't shoot me around here. <laughs> yeah. And so then Luke from the Bushwhackers does me. That, that should have set off a warning play right there that they weren't particularly organized for me. Yeah. 
But um, uh, then Luke from the Bushwhackers by his name, we toured a bit before, and he's like, hey, you want to come to Puerto Rico for a while? And, yeah, sure. So I called him and I said, look, I'm going to Puerto Rico until you get your shit together, and then I'll come. Yep. Which is what happened. And then during my, my tenure in Puerto Rico, which I loved, we got out, you know, I kept calling the office, and eventually I was going to leave Puerto Rico, go and do this tour of Australia and New Zealand with WWA, and then go to Canada. That's how my tickets were being bought. Mm-hmm. So I had to start. And then sure enough, I got there the first week, and then they, they flew me down, or they, they didn't fly me down the first week, and they flew me down the second week just to meet everybody. Just to meet everybody? But I still wasn't, yeah, but I still hadn't been paid yet. Oh, okay. So I was like, you know, okay, I'm trying to be nice here. And uh, then I went on one of those, you know, their standard, because we were only doing the pay-per-views every Wednesday. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, Jeff said, we're going to show Vince what he must add on the data data. I'm like, great, you know, like, thank you, uh, let's do this. And they put me in an angle with Jeff. Mm-hmm. And everything was going well at first. And then Dutch came in from uh, Puerto Rico, and I was getting along with Russo, too. And then Russo started going, and, and the more going, I don't know what the problem is, this Dutch guy seems to have an issue with you. Yeah. And I'm like, well, I called Dutch, and, you know, Dutch is like, no, everything's fine, and we're going to do great things, and blah, 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 blah. I'm like, okay. And then they just, you know, I, I, they, they sat me home, and then they brought me back in to do that registered security for listeners. Because yeah. apparently my goal in that thing is to come in as a steamroller heel to beat up the, the boss, <laughs> and then... Uh, come back, you know, at least not as a springboard to a lucrative career in security. Yeah. With a red shirt on, which, oh, I mean, ask anybody who watches Star Trek, a security guy in a red shirt, always money. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, so they, uh, they were for using me to try and give Kevin Northcutt more experience. Mm-hmm. I think they, they liked Kevin Northcutt and they thought, okay, I could come in, quarterback the matches, take the pinfalls, but they could kind of keep Kevin, you know, is a hotter commodity, and Kevin's good, and a really good guy. Mm-hmm. So I can understand wanting to push him, but at the same time, push him off my back if he got it, but just keep paying me. And instead, they sat me home for, I said, like, after we dropped the tag belts, we did one or two more gigs, and then I was sitting home. So, they, you know, I kept calling the office, and they kept jerking me around. So eventually, they paid me up, but they owed me. Yeah. But we left on pretty ugly terms. Which is too bad, because I really liked, I mean, I, I, I put the full weight of it on Jeff and Dutch. No time for those two guys. Um, Dixie, I thought was lovely. Always approachable, really nice. Her husband, Serge, great guy. Couldn't ask for a nice guy. Uh, Vince Russo, as much as he, as he gets, you know, in the industry. Of course. The guy was always polite, always, you know, t- you know approachable, would talk at length and give you, you know, a long-term projection on how he wanted to do things. I think he's, uh, you know, I, I got on well with him, but unfortunately, the two guys with the most power, Jeff and Dutch, are the ones who cut my knees out. So I never enjoyed that. Uh, it started off fun, and then it dropped dead and became uh, more headache than it was worth. Uh, at least with WWE, you always got paid. The TNA, you never were sure, and I knew I'd have to chase to get my money. So the, the WWE was better in as much as if Vince owes you five cents, you get five cents. If he owes you five million, you get five million. TNA, maybe just because they're on shaky ground all the time financially. Maybe, uh, maybe that's where my worry came that they weren't going to pay me, but Scott Demore went to bat and got me the money I was owed. So I can't really say that they screwed me in that regard, but I, I, I had no time for, 
for the company as long as Jeff and Dutch were involved. Well, it was strange that they would bring you in, you know, do the run, um, it, it, that it was good early on that you had the angle with Jeff and whatnot, and you had the tag team run. But it was it, it's very odd that they would bring you in for that kind of stuff and then just not use you at all, you know what I mean? That's very odd. Yeah, it coincided with when they brought in Dutch from Puerto Rico. That's where, you know, I kind of look at it like, well, you know, Dutch never said a word to me in my face. Not once, and I gave him plenty of opportunity. Like, Dutch, what can we do here? You know, I'm... I'm not a real difficult guy. Like, what do you want from this angle? What do you want from this gimmick? What do you want from this match? You know, tell me what you want, and we'll fit in as best as we can to do it. Mm -hmm. I do that all the time. But I don't know. He had some kind of an issue with me, um, but I feel it was too gutless to to just come forward and tell me. And I called him many times and left messages, emails, faxes. I tried to register a letter. Tell me. Just tell me what the problem is. Mm -hmm. If you don't want to use me. Pay me up my contract, I'll leave. Don't leave me sitting at home waiting every week. Because, I mean, ultimately, I think the goal was, because it's a Wednesday promotion, Yeah, they're waiting for me to take another job. Mm -hmm. And then, as soon as they found me to take another job, they're like, okay, we want to eat you this week. I'm like, well, I can't. Yeah. I got my new job. Ah, oh, breach of contract. And we don't have to pay it. Yep. Yeah, that, you know? that's a complete waste, yeah. yeah. I thought it was very, very shifty business practice. So the backstage... I wish I'd been there slightly after when Jim Cornette was there, because I was down real on Cornette, and I like his style. Mm -hmm. So, in terms of backstage environment, uh, of course, TNA and WWE, from basically from what you just said, have their respective issues, of course. WWE paid you up front and whatnot. They actually... They paid you, so there's that. So, But what was um, what was the better backstage environment? How would you compare the two companies? TNA, I... To you know, this is going to sound weird after my little tirade there, but TNA, the, the roster was so gung-ho, just they're so happy to be there. Yeah. But it was a really kind of positive atmosphere. I mean, plus I had a lot of friends there, a lot of trainees. I was teaching at West Scott Moore School, so I was teaching Alex Shelley and Chris Saban and yep. P.E. Williams and, you know, Tracy Brooks and all that stuff. Um, you know, so I had a, a kind of a core group of people I already knew I was already training with. So it was a very friendly atmosphere right from the get-go. Um, and just, uh, you know, half the guys were there just to, you know, we're going to make a difference, we're a team, and we're, you know, we're coming for you, Vince. And the other half were just going, hey, we're happy to be on TV, and who cares about Vince? We're just thrilled to be here. Exactly. So it was a really kind of positive, and everybody wanted to work together, and everybody wanted to, you know, it was a real communal effort. Uh, I, I found that I saw personally less kind of backstabbing and, you know, whining and complaining between guys. We're just getting pushed and not me, dude. You know, maybe it was a smaller roster. Um, but because the company wasn't doing great, everybody could consider the fact they might actually get a shot. Mm -hmm. Because the company had to start taking chances. They had to start throwing a lot of crap at the wall and see what stuck. Whereas with WWE, they had their guys who they were going to push, and then maybe they'll give another guy a shot, maybe they won't. Because they're making enough money, they don't have to look at their undercard. You just keep their undercards. The team they had to advance, guys. And that locker room kind of respected that idea. Mm -hmm. And so in turn, everybody really worked hard and super friendly. A lot of really nice guys. Uh, and a lot of hungry, ambitious talent, too. Especially the juniors, because they knew they weren't going to get the acclaim or the opportunity to advance that TNA was giving them, because that X Division really had. Uh, a ball rolling there. It did, yes. So a lot of the juniors who who had a ton of talent but didn't have a ton of size were still going to make a living and get to showcase their stuff, which they deserve. 
Yeah, that was the one unique aspect about TNA. I mean, they still have the X Division to this day, but the the X Division was one crucial part of TNA that really made it stand out from WWE, and that's yeah. one of the reasons why it's called WWE Light nowadays because it doesn't have that unique identity that it did that it once had ten years ago. So, uh, well, that's what Big Bets told me when he first showed up mm-hmm. is that he wanted to kill the X Division off. I was like, what? He said he wanted to have the entire X Division in the ring, including the champs, with the ten or eleven guys in like a free fall type match, and then he wanted Abyss to come in and kill everybody, even for dead, and that would be the end of the division. That's ridiculous. Yeah, I think I, and I was like, I I was like are you nuts? He said, people don't want to see these people. They don't want to see big men. They want to see big strong men. They want to see big strong swimming men. They don't want to see these little guys. I said, well, these are the guys who are drawing attention right now. Exactly. You guys are always telling us what the internet's saying. The internet's talking to these guys. Mm-hmm. You can't tell me that Jerry Wynn is not a marketable talent. Mm-hmm. He just has to be marketed. And not have the legs pulled out for one in every five seconds. Chris Sabin, hell of a talent. I would show you one of the best wrestlers in the world. Petey Williams came up with, you know, a holy crap innovative move that mm-hmm. everybody wanted to see. And this is all X Division. That's drawing attention to your company. Utilize it. Until you're making big money, you're not. So use the attention to get there. <laughs> and you wouldn't hear from it. It's like what the Cruiserweight vision was, basically, to WCW, and that it had that you know unique identity to it, because it had the Cruiserweight division when the, when the main event stars really weren't yeah. really for the company, you know what I mean? So, um, so that, that That's was, just it. When you had you know, Stevie Ray versus Brutus Beefcake on top, <laughs> you were thrilled to have Eddie Guerrero versus Chris Benoit from the Cruiserweight belt. <laughs> exactly. Gee I mean, tell me which match was going to you know, have you on the edge of your seat. Mm-hmm. The real main event would be in the opening match, exactly. Um, the next, the next question I wanted to ask you: uh, You've been getting into acting in the last few years. You've been doing a few films here and there. Um, have you ever mm-hmm. considered a full-time career in acting? And where did all that come about? I'm a big movie nerd. I love movies. I've got like four. I have right now about fourteen hundred DVDs. Wow. But I would probably have triple that if it weren't for you know downloads now. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> So, um, yeah, I'm just a big movie kid. I have been since I was a little kid. Mm-hmm. And uh, I, I, I did that TV series that I did the Celebrity Wrestling in England and the, the other series of uh, Bring It On, which is like a follow-up series beyond that, uh, which kind of kicked open some doors for me TV-wise. And uh, that got me a couple of movie roles in England, and then this promoter I work for in France, uh, he's hooked up with the film industry to a degree, so I've gone and done a couple of films in France. And my... Like, I've done interviews and personal appearances and stuff like that for TV shows in Kuwait and Russia and stuff like that. So that's kind of, you know, opened a few eyes in my direction as far as making appearances and just being, I don't know, I guess I'm, for 44, I've got a ponytail and I'm a decent size. So I guess I look somewhat unique. Um, so I've seemed to have kicked open a few doors for me and then I've just kind of parlayed that further. I've got a bunch of stuff on the go and Hopefully, going to be able to announce in the next week or so about uh, the big reality series I've uh, agreed to do in the States this, uh, well, should be this summer. Um, but it could be on a major network. It's a pretty big deal series from over in the film there. Awesome. Uh, which, well, okay, yeah, I want to kind of kick up, and kick up my profile further. Um, yeah, I'd probably consider doing the accident. I mean, you know, I'm not saying I would get to the level of rock, but I, I don't see why I couldn't if I made the effort and if the right roles came my way and yeah. all that. I mean, he's shown it can be done. Like, people can erase the wrestling stigma. Mm-hmm. 
Absolutely. They couldn't, they couldn't pull the wrestling stigma off of Hulk Hogan. Mm-hmm. The Rocks were able to do it. So people are maybe, you know, maybe producers are willing to give, you know, people from wrestling, people from MMA, people from kickboxing, people from, you know, other sports, you know, opportunities. Mm-hmm. And you know, if I can play like that, great. I mean, like I said, I'm 44. I did karate and kung fu for 10 years, got four black belts, and, you know, my knees beat up. Played football, had a trial, lined up for the World League of America football, but then ended up going to Japan instead to wrestle. Been wrestling for 20 something years. Yeah, I'm feeling it. If I could, you know, have a stem there and take my bumps, I'm not going to complain completely. <laughs> I paid well. But I would happily, you know, make the transition, um, you know, where I welcomed in. On a similar subject too, you'll be making your return to the ITV exclusive series, exclusively in the uh, in the United Kingdom, of course. So that's where it airs. The world of sports. So I wanted to get. I, I wanted to know what your involvement with that show was, and uh, when it's set to launch, or when you're set to uh, to return to the show. Well, we, uh, the world of sport. Uh, for anybody who doesn't really know about it, it used to be one of the major territories. Okay. Like Mexico's major territory, Japan. For Europe, it was. Uh, CWA in Germany, Austria, that type of thing, and in England, England, Ireland, Scotland, and Wales, I believe it is, uh, it was World of Sport, and it used to be the the main competition for soccer mm-hmm. in England, and they used to, like, on occasion, outdraw soccer, which is, and soccer's religion in England, you know, it's hard to do soccer or anything, yeah. but um, it used to be really, really well, but then eventually, you know, Vince started expanding. And it was just cheaper for the TV people, in, for ITV in uh, England, to simply buy Vince's tapes than it was to produce their own product, pay talent, rent arenas, cameras, all that nonsense. And Vince already had the marketing in place. Vince could send them action figures and posters and everything else. They really didn't have to do a whole lot other than sign a check. Mm-hmm. So Vince made their lives very easy. So that was like, next year will be 30 years ago. Wow. That it was that it was off that it left TV, mm-hmm. and then um, this past year, a group called LDN, which you know London obviously, mm-hmm. uh, were in touch with uh, ITV Studios, and they want ITV is interested in bringing wrestling back. I was but with the celebrity wrestling back in 2005. That was the kind of first shot that was fired in trying to get wrestling involved, but it was too much like American Gladiators, I think. That you know, uh, for the wrestling public to to gravitate to it as a wrestling product. Mm-hmm. Um, it, you know, it's a hard thing to sell as far as, you know, like I, some of the matches they wanted to go back to rounds like they used to do, like in boxing. World of Sport used to be in rounds. To try to sell that to the busy, busy, busy product that Vince's kind of conditioned audiences to, to expect now might be difficult. Mm-hmm. Um, but on the other hand, Britain... Very nationalistic. They uh, screw you, you yanks. It's not hard to get foreigner heat in England. Yeah, <laughs> People exactly. pretty nationalistic. It was a lot of pride. Um, from what I saw from the audience, uh, it, if it wasn't a sellout, it was close. Mm-hmm. And they were enthusiastic. They were you know nutty through the whole thing. And then afterwards, we had a, a meet greet, and I, we must have been in that meet and greet for an hour and a half. Mm-hmm. Just people come going by. Oh, I think when you get a minute or two at a time, not because you're like, hey, get moving, but you know, they want to meet everybody. Matt Stryker from WWE was there, um, signing autographs and stuff, and like, we just had loads of people coming in. I didn't hear one person say, well, this was good, but that was bad. It seemed to be a good uh, review across the board, which I was happy to hear. 
And so ITV has taken the, the core tape of everything. They're editing it to how they see fit. And then apparently, from what I'm told, they've, uh, they're going to put it on as like a 90 minute special. And if the ratings hit as high as they're hoping, then they want to bring it back as a, as a regular thing. So right now it's, it's kind of a fingers crossed situation. But we've done everything we can at this point, and the reviews as far as I've heard have been quite positive, so hopefully um, it'll be the rebirth of one of the great territories. And I've worked in 44 countries, so I've hit most of the major territories in my career. Uh, to be able to, to be on the ground floor of getting under the world of sport, I know Brian Danielson would kill to have Daniel Bryan. We kill to do that. He's a big fan of that stuff. Yep. Um, you know, so some guys are really interested in that. So to, to be able to be a part of that, be part of its rebirth and everything, maybe, you know, if I want I'm 34, I don't have to start telling them to pack it in. And if I do, to know that I was on the ground floor of getting that going, mm-hmm. it's pretty nice. To not be able to tell my kids I did that. Very cool. Hopefully, hopefully fans can be exposed to that and check that out. It sounds very interesting. In addition to that, too, um, you're also working on a book at the moment. Is this an autobiography of yours or something else? Or just tell us about that. There's um, a lot of books I'm doing. <laughs> oh, okay. Very cool. Tell us yeah, about that. I don't do an autobiography right now. It's uh, tentatively titled Joey Legend. I know I haven't heard of you either. <laughs> I want to try and keep it, you know, humorous. you got to... I'm a 34-year-old guy with a ponytail. I wear spandex and roll around play-fighting with other men for money. I cannot possibly take myself too seriously. Mm-hmm. It's funny, man. It's but, funny. Uh, the autobiography is between a three- or a five-book series. I've been kind of really playing with the, the math on that. Mm-hmm. The first book, I was just actually uh, going through some of it today. Uh, I'm about 30 chapters in, and um, it goes right from me. I'm like, Initial interest in the business right up until I signed with WWE. Mm-hmm. Uh, the next book will probably be my uh, European, Puerto Rican, TNA, and WWE times. And then, uh, you know, if we go to the third book, we'll go to, you know, how I got involved in writing and movies and all that nonsense. Mm-hmm. So just kind of broaden from there. Um, we're doing the book, Luma Co-Author, Crystal McCarrington. We're doing a book called Marie's World which uh, we've been talking to some studios about possibly becoming a movie. Okay. Um, yeah, and it's, it's kind of, um, if you want to boil it down to a simple kind of catchphrase or a cellular phrase, it's SmackDown 90210. Oh, okay. Yeah, it's kind of the backstage politics around wrestling, but obviously there's got to be some bigger issues at hand. I play the father of... Uh, twin girls who've gotten involved in the wrestling business. I've been away, a strange for a time. I returned with their lives and tried to protect them from the shifty promoter mm-hmm. they're working for and involved with. And that leads to Layla's work because Mary and Layla are my two daughters. And there's uh, Charlie's Fight, which will be the book based around my character, Charlie's my character. Um, and then there's all kinds of branch-off books. Like, Mary will have her own series, they will have her own series, Charlie has her own series, Amber has her own series, uh, you know, Harold has her own series, all these different characters, so if you decide you, you know, which character kind of you gravitate to the most, there'll actually be a series of books surrounding that character mm-hmm. uh, for you to kind of follow your interest in that regard. And uh, should all things go to plan, uh, it's very possible, you know, from the reviews we got this far, very possibly could go into production of a movie. Yeah, it's very cool, very cool. 
when would the um when would that book be coming out as well as your autobiography is there any set timetable at the moment well uh, i gotta finish up with the autobiography and they're gonna run uh, an editor through it yeah um i'd like to think it'll be done by the end of the summer Oh. Um, Maurice World, I think, is coming out, Maurice World's coming out through Austin Macaulay Publishing sooner than that. Okay. I want to say, gee, I don't have the stupid thing in front of me. In the next few months. <laughs> Very cool, yeah. Because uh, i, I got to go do a, a book cool. tour on it. I've already kind of signed on to do a bunch of book tours. I've, I'm doing one um, in November, which we're going to do some more uh, publicity on. Uh, the big announcement of that, uh, it's like a book fest, but there's going to be wrestlers there, like a, more than just me. Some bigger names than me. Um, all of this uh, book fest because they're going to do uh, seminars and Q and A's and stuff like that with wrestlers and authors and everything else, and that's going to be in November. And we'll do the big announcement on that tomorrow. As so told. Very cool. So we got a very big, uh, got a number of projects going on. You got the movies coming out this summer. You've got the books coming out, as well as your involvement in the world of sports. So a lot of things going on. And one final question for you before we let you go: um, What are your future aspirations in terms of pro wrestling? Is there anything left that you still want to do? I mean, you've competed for the WWE, you've competed for TNA, you've competed all around the world, won a number of championships, almost everywhere you've gone. Um, what is there left to accomplish in pro wrestling for you? Um, well, I'm, I'm head trainer at a, a promotion in Dortmund, Germany, mm-hmm. called uh, Pro Wrestling Lion. We're doing actually a show uh, next weekend. No? Okay. Uh, so so help, helping develop the talent there, uh, I'm looking forward to doing that. Uh, I'm also meant to be lecturing at the University of Dortmund. Um, so, so being, and I'm, there's, I have uh, Brock University in Hamilton, Ontario, Canada, they said I've got an open door to come in and uh, lecture on the sociology of pro wrestling. Mm-hmm. And there's another university in the States, I think it's West Virginia, who want me to come in as well. Um, so being able to kind of uh, get in on the underside of uh, helping people understand more about wrestling and not just, hey, there's a guy in a funny costume, hey, why did that guy call himself the lizard or something stupid? Um, but actually getting into the to the fundamentals of storytelling, helping people to connect with characters and, and, and broaden people's knowledge of how this stuff works. Yeah. Not, not to stooge it off, but to, to uh, advance an appreciation for it. That would be kind of a, uh, a semi-goal of mine. I'd love to go back to uh, to Japan and have another nice run there. I've been speaking to a couple of companies over there. I've, I've always enjoyed Japan. Mm-hmm. Um, helping rebuild the business here in Germany. Where it used to be thriving years ago. I'm, I'm with the promotion of the Power of Wrestling. We got a couple of shows upcoming, uh, three shows upcoming in May. Mm-hmm. And we got like Rhino coming in and uh, Doug Williams and stuff like that. Uh, so it's off to your head. We'll start with those guys. Uh, being able to help broaden those promotions as well would, would kind of be a nice thing. And uh, I'd love to be able to to do a big match in front of a big audience um, and help my kids see it. Mm-hmm. I'd like my kids to see me do it once because they only found out in October what I do for a living. So just kind of... Kid, me, oh, I'm sorry, go ahead. Yeah, well, my kids are five. I have two and five-year-old boys. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, you're trying to teach them, you know, when they go into kindergarten and some kid takes their truck and they just pick up the truck and brain the kid. You're like, no, no, use your words, don't fight, don't hit. Yeah, yeah. And then... Here comes Papa uh, kicking people for money. <laughs> it comes off somewhat hypocritical. 
so I'm trying to teach them, you know, I, I want to wait until they get moving over because they'll probably get into a panic if they saw me selling punches or something like that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, but, but I'd love to have them, you know, in the building to see me, you know, have a really good match against a really good opponent, even if it's not a retirement match. But to have them there and to see what I do and to, to hopefully make them proud. Ultimately, whatever I do in the wrestling industry, the movie industry, the TV industry, the literary industry, public speaking, whatever it is. Mm-hmm. I, I really want to just kind of, whichever way I go out, I want to go out making my kids proud. That's key for me. Mm-hmm. So now you're just kind of just grooming the next generation of people that's coming up in the business, in the pro wrestling business, as a trainer right now. But you're also kind of keeping your other options open, of course, and you're, other, um, you're just kind of focusing in on being a writer and an actor right now. So those are the kind of things that you're looking at right now? Yeah, so to speak. Yeah, I mean, I still enjoy it. When I get in the ring, I you walk out and yeah, it hurts more than it did when I was 20. Yeah, um, but at the same time, you know, like I, I, you kind of look at things through realistic eyes. Mm-hmm. And I'm 44 now. I'll be 45 in September. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a business that caters to the youth. It's a youth market. It's a, you know, it's sold to to young people. Yep. And for me to try and cling and hang on, no, I just gotta get my shot. You know, it, it seems. It, I don't want to say it's so pathetic because I, I have friends who do this. Um, and I, I don't want to step on anybody's dream, but at the same time, I look at myself realistically, and I've got to, I've got to look at the, that side of it. No, actually, yeah, yeah, it makes perfect sense uh, at the age of 44. I mean, uh, Christian's, uh, this is another thing I forgot to ask you before, Christian's at the age of 40. Do you still talk to Christian on a regular basis at all? Yeah, he was there. We'll, we'll get in touch with him. We'll be in touch for like two straight weeks, and then we won't talk for a month and a half, and then we'll get right back, and like we hadn't missed a day, you know? Mm-hmm. It's kind of leads to those kind of friendships. Do you? Oh, this is another question. I forgot to ask you this before when we were talking about your time with the WWE. Um, my final question for you. Of course, I'm sorry for taking your uh, taking up your time, but it's um, not a problem. I said anything you need. Do you still watch the product today? Do you still watch not not specifically WWE, but WWE, TNA, ROH, maybe even um, anything of that sort, and pro wrestling in general? Not really. Um, I, I try to keep abreast of it just because it, it behooves me to do my homework, to know what the crowds are buying so that when I show up, I give them the product they're going to buy. And I, try to, I don't want to tell them what they like. I want to give them what they want. Mm-hmm. That's where I find most promotions seem to drop the ball. But if he keeps trying to push Batista on them, they should have just given them during the bar and you'd have a happier crowd. Exactly. Um, and I'm, I'm with that mindset. So I've, I've got to kind of pay attention to what they're doing. But do I watch it very, very well? I have to read somewhere. They go, oh, holy crap, you can't miss this. Mm-hmm. WrestleMania, I, I'm guaranteeing right now I will not sit down and watch WrestleMania. Not from the beginning to the end, but... Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'll read, of course, if this match is good, that match is good, and I'll find it on YouTube in a day or two yeah. and have enough of it to critique it myself. But it's hard for me to look at it through a fan's eyes. It's hard for me to really enjoy it. I'm very nitpicky because anywhere, I just did two shows in Scotland this past weekend, and, like, you know, some of the guys are like, hey, can you come critique my match and tell me what you think? I'm happy to do it. Yeah. Um, at the same time, I look at all matches that way. Yeah, <laughs> so when I'm watching them, go, that punch was terrible, and that made no sense, and... Yeah. Hey, look, you know, uh, Triple H is supposed to be this desk jockey past his prime. Um, and Daniel Bryan is doing 25 minutes with him, having trouble winning, and he's going to be the face of the company. Why isn't Daniel Bryan wiping the mat with him? Like, I can't get lost in the story and go, oh, I'm so glad this match is going wrong. My logic kicks in and going from a marketing standpoint, he should wipe the mat with Triple H. One minute, boom, kill him. Mm-hmm. Because he's a desk jockey, he's rusty, and he's old, and he's hurt. 
Otherwise, he'd still be wrestling. Exactly. Very good point. So, so, what so, so Daniel Bryan, who's at the peak of his skills, should own him. And he's not going to. They're going to do 20 minutes. Yeah. And that, that's what aggravate me. So, for me to tune into that stuff, it's just going to annoy me. Why would I do that to myself? Exactly, exactly. So it's kind of hard to enjoy as a fan after being in the business for for so long. And uh, like you said, critiquing others' matches, so you kind of critique the entire business that way when you sit down. Yeah, so, whatever. yeah I rob myself of the enjoyment. If it's nobody else's fault, then you guys might be putting on phenomenal matches. Yeah. But I will rob myself of the joy of it because I'd be critiquing it too strongly when I should be just able to shut off the critical side and just enjoy the show. Mm-hmm. But I'll just have a real trouble just sitting and enjoying the show. Maybe, you know, maybe I'm bitter, too. Oh, I should be there. Nah, 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 nah. Maybe I'm just weak and shallow in that regard, too. Who knows? But either way, I know that I wouldn't sit there and just get lost in the moment like I did at WrestleMania 4 when Savage won the belt and I was losing my marbles and uh, Maple Leaf Gardens watching it on big screen TV. Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. Well, sounds great, man. Thanks for the interview. I really appreciate it. We got a lot of great stuff on here. Of course, before we let you go, um, just feel free to plug your shows, your events. You did before, but uh, of course, I want to mention again: Facebook, Twitter, wherever the fans can find you. Anything you'd like to plug before we let you go? Okay. Uh, really, unfortunately, I should go on Twitter more. I was kind of uh, forced to get a Twitter account. Through my publisher, but uh, the Joey Legend is my Twitter handle. If you ever one says Joey Legend, somebody's taken it. Don't know who. It's not me. <laughs> I know it's ridiculous, but the Joey Legend. That's that one's mine. Uh, there's my Joey Legend uh, Facebook page. It's, there's a wrestling one. There's an author's one. Uh, there's uh, there's three or four different fan pages in French. There's a couple of fan pages in Turkish. Um, and if you go into my real name, Joe Hitchin, that's the one I look at most of the time anyways, because I really do separate reality from fiction. <laughs> so I tend to be myself when I'm not in the ring. Yeah. Uh, and that, that carries over to Facebook. Uh, for booking inquiries, for seminars, for matches, for public speaking, legendwrestling at hotmail.com, best way to reach me. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm happy to, to work at something and, and hopefully help people leave a positive stamp on the business before I walk away. Sounds great, man. Thanks again for the interview. Uh, congratulations on all the success. you got a lot of stuff going Thank on you. right now. With the, from the books to the movies to the seminars to everything going on. So uh, once again, congratulations on all the success. Thanks again for coming in for the interview. Really do appreciate it. And uh, have a good one. Thank you very much. You're very kind for having me. I had a great time. Thank you so much. No problem. Thank you. Have a good one, man. We'll talk to you soon. You too.